Welcome, friends, back to Friends and Favorites with Marissa Serafini, your host. Today, I have a newer friend of mine, Flobo Boys. We've known each other a little bit here and there um, back at After Buzz TV, but we were kind of passing ships. So, Flobo, welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me. I didn't know if you could say the name out loud, but I'm glad we can to save space. And it's uh, I was honored when you uh, offered uh, for me to be on the show. So I'm glad I'm here. Oh, yeah. Well, always it's always fun to talk to you for the, the short amount of times I've talked to you here and there. And I mean, yes, we can say the, the name of the show. Just don't say certain people's names. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because I mean, it, it's honestly, that's where we meant. And you were big into wrestling, which I personally am not a fan of. But when you know, everybody has their favorites because we are newer friends. Yeah. What would you say would be like a, a turning point, or do you remember a moment where we became more than just like friends? Um. Yeah. Last month we went out for lunch the first time. That was because uh, <laughs> yeah. Here's because I. Not to say that we didn't really have like a hierarchical relationship at, at After Buzz, but you were a producer and I was talent. And usually you kind of listen to what the producer tells you to do. Or you, I don't think you were my direct producer, but I was considered yeah. the producers to be a certain class of people. And that in a bad way. Uh, and then over the pandemic, you did my podcast, New Am Sam Radio. We talked about uh, the Hardys, I believe what they're called, the fan group. Yeah. But was, I approached you as if you were a celebrity because you kind of were in that space and so it was only when uh last month i was like hey let's go out and get some grub and it was so bad because i wasn't eating junk food at the time because i was giving up processed sugar for lead so i had like this meat and salad just trying to you know All nod right. my way to do it but we had a conversation we learned more about um us and our backgrounds and where we we're from and that was pretty cool so i would say then yeah, I mean, first of all, I totally forgot that you were on that special restricted diet. Have you had sugar since? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, this weekend yes. I had like coffee cakes and donuts and burgers and pretzels. It was great. Yeah, make up for that lost time. Absolutely. Um, I did enjoy that lunch because I was that that was during my lunch hour break at, at work. So I do feel bad. <laughs> I always feel bad when I think about that day because I was coming literally straight from a meeting me producing um, a broadcast meeting and I was like walking like speed walking to you really? um, still made it on time fortunately uh, but I was still kind of like in that producer mode I was like okay gotta think this 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 then this gotta like switch my producer hat off to now like socializing hat you know and uh, I feel like hard? I've gotten better is it hard um, to put the hats on and off the switch over or I mean, it's been a while since I've done that. I used to do it all the time in After Buzz TV because, you know, I would be producing and, you know, engineering. And then, like, literally in two minutes, I had to be on camera instead of be behind. I had to, like, put on my hosting hat and and lead a, a an entire conversation with guests, you know. So, like, I got so conditioned to flip-flop within minutes. But because my life is completely different than it was five, you know, four or five years ago, um... Now it's like I don't have to flip those hats as often. And yeah. like I kind of enjoy that, you know? I, I can just be a producer for eight to ten hours and then I could take that off and just be myself. Not yeah. a host, not a friend in in that way. Just like be myself and like go read a book because that's how <laughs> boring I am, you know? So <laughs> it's not as many hats to switch. And it's yeah. not as fast, which is, you know, nice. But um, yeah, that was a great conversation because we, we were, were still like learning about each other. And hence the reason why I wanted you 
on this show because I want to know more about my friends. And you are now my friend. Yes. And uh, but you're from New York, which was uh, it's it's so foreign to me because I've only been there once. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. And but how long were you there? Uh, I guess the, my first 18 years of my life. I went to, out of state for yeah. college, but uh, growing up, I was in Brooklyn. So, so now it's all okay. gentrified. But even the part of Brooklyn that my parents are from, we're from Flatlands. Uh, it's still pretty residential. So New York is this big megalo city. And even though my address is literally Brooklyn, New York, but to me, it kind of felt like a home, like a homey. We had a house that was attached, but it was a full house. And we had a backyard that we share with our neighbors and the kids would play in that backyard. And and then my parents mm-hmm. had cars, you know what I mean? It wasn't like we were in the sky like the Jetsons or, or, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, Brooklyn was cool because it really was a third parent. It taught you how to how to suss people out, to trust them or not. Taught you about don't leave things unattended. It taught you to do things as quickly as you can. I wouldn't change it for the world. My family is still out there. I'm going to visit them by the time this records. I'm going to be this this June. I'm going to go see them uh, just to just to see them. You know, I like that energy or whatever. Because once you're a Brooklyn kid, you can't really get rid of it. But it is funny when you hear people say, "I'm going to visit New York," and they go to places that you haven't gone because yeah. you're like, "Oh, that's too touristy, bro. I wouldn't do that." <laughs> yeah. No, I did. Uh, okay, so I've only been to. New York once and I did like all the touristy things you can you can compact into a two-week period like I went to um the Empire State Building like literally the first day I was there I went to Statue of Liberty the next day walked all around Manhattan you know Brooklyn Bridge and I did go to Brooklyn for like two hours mostly for lunch yeah um but it didn't go far into Brooklyn it was just like right whatever train we took to get it was like one or two stops right into brooklyn and then so we were like on the border already and then we could leave again um so new york is still a mystery to me only because i've only been there once and i don't have all the exposure of like the entire city but i loved it that was a, a beautiful city i i do like uh yeah, you and I have the same adventurous spirit. Like we're probably, uh, I probably would gush about this as much as wrestling, but I'm a big baseball person. And so I've decided that I was going to be a ballpark chaser. And that means going to all the cities that have a ballpark and watching a game. So like this weekend, I'm going to, to Seattle for the first time. And I feel like an alien in my own country. Like it, it's literally in the same country yeah. I'm from. I'm like, Seattle, what's that? But it's always fun to explore and like eat the food and like take a couple photos and all that stuff. So respect Oh, yeah. I still haven't been to Seattle either. Um, no, I I do love traveling. I wish I could do it more. I wish I could afford it more, you know, but, you know, such is life. Mm-hmm. But every time I go to a new place, I will totally, you know, accept that touristy position. I don't care because I know I'm not the only one in that boat. And I'm there to have fun. I'm there to explore. I'm there to see things for the first time. I like to revel in that state you know be like amazed by something brand new in front of me are you are you like that because it seems like you you enjoy doing a lot of different things as i get older i feel like there's when i make my little google docs of things i want to do i have three categories i go super super touristy off the beaten path and then totally a local thing uh i had 
I guess the unfortunate uh, experience of being let go from a job, but they paid me out mm. my contracts. So I had I had a lump sum uh, last year, so I yeah. went to the United Kingdom, and I went to London before when I was like in my twenties. But this time, I was like, here are the fancy restaurants I want to do that were famous. Here was uh, the soccer game. That's kind of a touristy thing. And then it was like, here are some like museums to be kind of cool that no one's really thinking about. And then I I had to go to like a local pub in some podunk town just because I wanted <laughs> to be a local. I think it's the mix, and then more importantly, keeping yourself flexible uh, i'd never want to go to a place and be like i don't know what to do and i don't want to go to a place and be like here is my thing down to the letter because you want to give yourself opportunities to make those memories as they say and, and you know call audibles if you're tired or if you feel super energized or jet lagged or what have you so that's the way i've been approaching it for sure yeah absolutely so that that's awesome because i you know still haven't been to the uk either that's on my bucket list that I'll oh yeah what's on your bucket to. list then tell me oh gosh is that okay <laughs> yes yeah, so much i can't i the list is too long to the point where i can't even think off the top of my head because there's a million places uh tokyo for sure because oh, yeah. they are like 30 years in the future and i'm like come on america get on it i was like but they, they, they have cash for society then. they still use cash <laughs> I, I know but like i still have cash i mean like <laughs> Uh, I am a millennial, but I still carry a lot of cash with me because I unfortunately have been in situations where I didn't have cash and I could have, well, that could have been fixed had I had a $20 bill in, in my pocket, you know, yeah. so I've learned the hard way, but um, back to the travel. So yeah, definitely Tokyo, um, definitely UK, London, Britain, all all that. Uh, some places, I, I don't want to say like not all the countries of Africa, but like Cape Cod and, and whatnot. And then, uh, and definitely, um, some parts of South America would be awesome. Yeah. Well, if you um, decide to go to Chile, yeah. give me a call. That's on my list. There you go. I mean, yeah. Chile, Argentina, you know, all those places. And, and I'm like, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a foodie, but I definitely want to go to the, like the different countries and just like experience that culture and like that, those type of foods too, because growing up, I am like so American. It's kind of embarrassing because yeah. i am filipino but i grew up with italian um culture my dad's italian um and my mom makes amazing italian food even though she's irish and so i grew up with a lot of american cuisine and a yeah. lot of italian cuisine and i am woefully ignorant of the filipino cuisine um, so when i go to other countries and stuff i kind of want to know like their taste, their cuisines, just to well, you, be like, I'll tell you I'm a story here eating their food. That like it's kind of a weird link. So my my parents are are West Indian, and my dad uh, got to the New York City Transit, so he worked for the subway system uh, his entire career, which is the most New York job too, right? Uh, but but oh, back awesome. back then, um, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but it, it literally was mobbed up, right? It really was mm -hmm. uh, a city organization, and the people that were in it were part of the La Costa Nostra. And my dad had the uh, the fortunate position of being fair-skinned. And so he didn't really get the discrimination as much as other people. And he totally assimilated in kind. So imagine coming home to a West Indian household, having reggae playing or or dance or dance hall playing or clips of music playing. And your dad is making mm -hmm. Parmesan <laughs> on <laughs> Italian rolls because he wanted to golf like them. He wanted to eat like them. He wanted to, to be around them so he can make himself up that corporate ladder. And so it's kind of funny. Like I've become like an official out of Italian food the same way because it's just the most American, like the most American ethnic food. is Italian. Right. <laughs> Um, no, that's fascinating because, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing how we kind of code switch just to, you know, fit in. 
Um, I mean, I definitely did that because I'm Filipino. I stuck out like a sore thumb in my small town um, growing up, where it was all Caucasians. There wasn't another Asian for like another 60 miles other than my pediatrician who also happened to be Filipino. But yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I was like, I stuck out so hard. So it, um, I like to think you know, and I was raised by Caucasians, like both of my parents are white, I am adopted. And um, so I didn't really see that like myself as Filipino, I, I've always considered myself more Caucasian than anything, even though I don't look it, but I acted I speak like it. Um, if you heard me just blindly, you wouldn't think I'm Filipino, hopefully, you know. Um, so it, it, it's amazing, like what we naturally do just to fit in the environment that yeah. we come from do, do you know the region of the philippines just this is a curious thing because it's such a wide uh breadth of islands uh, yeah i i was born in cebu okay um okay. but i was in manila which is like the poorest capital <laughs> of right. philippines i was in the poorest part of manila um and then i came over here when i was three and i don't i was too young to really remember anything sure, other sure, than sure. what i've seen from photos and whatnot but my whole life, I've been more identified as American more than anything. Same here, yeah. Um, well, not the Filipino thing, but definitely be identified yeah, more but, as American. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, going back to your your dad being a uh, working for what was it the the train metro? Yeah, MTA or the New York yeah. State Transit Authority. Yeah. I mean, he must have seen a lot of New York. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I, I appreciate it now. Uh, if if I don't know how deep the show can go, I'm not sure how. Absolutely, no. Go this. as deep um, as you want. So I've learned to appreciate my dad, despite how complex he was, and I think that that's kind of like my superpower in my family because I tend to be the glue and this kind of thing. Because my dad worked a lot of hours um, as an immigrant, uh, as an electrical engineer background, but he never finished college. When he retired, he was a deputy superintendent, which is basically a suit. Like he worked his way up the best way he could. But there was a lot of birthdays and Christmases that he chose work. Thanksgivings, uh, he chose work where he wouldn't be home. And, and it's, I have a subway token tattooed on my shoulder uh, which is kind of ironic because he hates tattoos. But the reason why I do have it tattooed on me is that I remember the MTA putting food in my plate because they paid my dad the overtime, but no one has a positive New York City transit story. It connects the city. People rely on it to work. But if a train goes out of service, the first thing you go is, oh, this thing sucks. Oh, this price sucks. So right. hard work will go unthanked, uh, that sort of thing. Now, I can understand people being resentful, having situations where dad's not home and stuff. And my brother took a little bit harder than I did. My older brother, I'm the youngest. Uh, but but now, as I am self-employed and I work so many hours without having a family, I totally understand that there's certain things you have to do, especially with the idea of trying to assimilate within a very Italian-heavy workforce inside that company to make sure you can make hay, to own a house, and to put your kids through college, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, the appreciation of what our parents do, because, yeah, you might have saw it as work, but he saw it as food on the plate and people don't see the bigger picture in that aspect. And I, I think that's really great that you appreciate it now more as an adult, because especially when you, you know, just the retrospective aspect of what we do or what our parents do for us, we don't really thank them or like we're not as appreciative until we're old enough to understand it yeah. um, once that happened. Uh, but again, you're from New York, so this is friends and favorites. You've seen more New York than I have. What would you say your favorite New York 
borough is? Oh, it's got to be the one I'm from, Kings County. Yeah. It's Brooklyn, baby. Like it's okay. it's cool. Well, I always say this. I say every every borough has their flavor. Um, all of us don't really go into Staten Island unless we have to. So that's, I think there's like four, right? <laughs> think about it. But what I like about Brooklyn is that it's always been an evolving definition of cool. So before I was born, uh, even though hip hop was a, was a Bronx original, it really was like the DJ battles in Brooklyn that meant something. Um, and then when I came up, it really, before gentrification came, it really was the mom and pop. It was a culinary experience. Manhattan had like the fine dining restaurants, but all the ethnic neighborhood local hole in the wall stuff were basically in Brooklyn. And, and I think a lot of my favorite pizza shops were there as well. But now it, it, it is a multifaceted borough. In the Northwest, you have those skyscrapers and downtown light because of the, the mass exodus of rents uh, caused in Manhattan. So you have that. Um, I'm from the Southeast side. So that's like Floyd Bennett Field, the marshlands where i would go out and play over with around with the motorcycle learn how to drive out there king's plaza mall king's plaza diner that sort of thing and the golf ranges are out there so you have those parks uh subways if you're a fan of that because i was a had a little bit of a train phase you see how interconnected mm -hmm. that is and it really gives you a flavor of everything so uh to me it felt like home it feels like it feels like the old farm but there's still the city at the same time so i always bat for brooklyn and the fact that unlike queens where if you lived in Queens, your address will be whatever neighborhood it is, Flushing, New York, Rego Park, New York, uh, Riverdale, New York. If you live in Brooklyn, your address is literally Brooklyn, New Brooklyn. York. It's a stamp. It's like a, a a tribal mark. You know what I mean? It's also, I'm yeah. a Mets fan. It's like, I know my city. You know my city. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fascinating because, you know, when you come out to Los Angeles also, it's like we are, it is such a big county. But then when you're in the different cities, you also say that city when mm -hmm. you're addressing yourself. Like you say Burbank, you don't say Los Angeles, you know, you say whatever, Santa Monica, you know, all, all the different. So like I, I always wondered the the different um, areas, like even though we are still technically L.A. So yeah, right. I know it gets confusing. And then when you go to different cities, Chicago's like um, is very much like New York, too. And that, I mean, it's all a grid system, too. Even though you're in different neighborhoods, you still address it to Chicago. Right. Uh, so right. It, it's, I don't know, maybe Los Angeles, we just wanted to be weird. Be like, no, we're difficult. So yeah. and we're more high maintenance out here. So if you want a specific area, tell us what city you're in. Absolutely. within the umbrella that is los angeles i never understood that it's, it's like there's like incorporated cities around the city of los angeles like what west hollywood is an incorporated city but hollywood is not <laughs> i live in <Yeah>. palms <laughs> and no one knows where palms is and so i just say i live in culver city because it's like right across the street mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's a whole big thing but yeah you would address it to culver city right if i well you would but my address is los angeles it's weird yeah. it's a whole weird See? thing yeah <laughs> it's confusing i'm in hollywood but you would address me to los angeles but if you're in say a suburb you would say encino or whatever i mean right. like i don't get it it is very very confusing <laughs> but um i yeah I, lo I love new york one day i'll i cuz i always joked i went my entire life never going to new york and then I was like, you know what? One day I'm just going to take one weekend. I'm just going to get on a plane, say, fuck it, go to New York. If you see me missing for three days, that's where I went. Good wow. chances I just went to New York. Um, but then I ended up dating someone who was from New Jersey. Ugh. And New York was his back was his backyard. We're like, all right, I could see New York from here. Let's go. Um, 
so yeah, I get I got to see New York in that way, but I haven't been since. And but I, I will uh, say most best things in life happen after a fuck it, we're gonna do it. Uh yeah. and, I, and I don't know if that was pushed by the pandemic or just before in my life, but I try to plan something. When I get this money, I'll do this. It's like eh. yeah. but me going, ah, I'm gonna go. Uh so much more fun. Yeah, I did that also for San Francisco, um, pre-pandemic. Um, I also went to New York pre-pandemic, but back in San Francisco, back in this was 2017 when I was still super single, um, growing up, you know, watching my favorite television shows like Charmed and stuff took place in San Francisco. And when it came out to California, I was like, well, San Francisco's not that far. Let's go. And then, um, but I'm the kind of person that like, I have to have a reason to go. If I just go somewhere aimlessly, I'm not going to know what I'm doing. Um, so <laughs> this could be me. Like I usually have to have a purpose and like a schedule or like a reason why I'm there. Yeah. So it's not like a waste of my time. Absolutely. Um, so, but then unfortunately I had a friend who moved to San Francisco and I like, and I talked to him on the regular and he was like, yeah, come visit me. I was like, absolutely. And then I took a weekend and I went and then he showed me all the places in San Francisco. So, uh, I, I think the, uh, I told the line between like being spontaneous and then being scheduled. <laughs> sure. Sure. I, I feel like Especially we're so similar. Uh, San Francisco, my first time going to San Francisco was the, the first pandemic vacation. And I was like, I don't, I just need to get out of here. I don't want to know, yeah. go too far. I want to stay in California because at the time, California had a bit more sensible a plan uh, for the masking up. I know, I'm sorry, I'm pro mask, pro vaccine. Sorry guys, yeah. unfollow me now. Um, no, so I, same, same. <laughs> so I went out there, but I realized if I don't have a reason to, I'm miserable. Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm flexing now, but there was one time where I got asked to do a wedding in Italy. And the couple paid me $1 to do it. They gave me a, a discounted Norwegian flight. Uh, Norwegian doesn't even fly anymore from, from LA, but I had okay. a one, I had $1 do it. So I was doing on no money. In fact, I was losing money because I was eating and stuff like that or whatever. Um, and the wedding was like on day four of my trip. So mind you, I'm, I'm <laughs> in Italy. The first yeah. three days were amazing. Three days I'm, to do whatever. Yeah, I'm eating food, seeing sights, going to Rome, taking trains. But once the wedding was over and I had the next three days to hang out, I was just a bored. <laughs> I was like, come on, let's go. I got something else to do. So, Yeah. No, I, I like that because I like being busy. I think you can tell from the short amount of time that we've been together that I'm like doing a million and a half things. My mind is in a million and a half different ways. Oh, yeah. Um. So like, I like keeping busy because when I do have say quote unquote off like downtime and stuff, I fill it with something. I fill it with reading a book or working out or watching a TV show. Yeah, and I do. even schedule myself to watch TV shows. Like I have a list. I was like, watch this episode of this, watch this episode of this show. Like, I don't know. I'm such a scheduled person. I was on the been in my free that. time. Yeah, I was on the end of that. You're like, look, I'm going to read a book now. So this conversation right. is over. And I was like, <laughs> wow, I guess I am boring as shit. <laughs> you know? <No>. Bye. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Sorry. that. No, I do remember that conversation. So we uh -huh. were talking on Instagram, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of, it, it was like, seriously, a day I had. I like I had an anxiety attack that day. Yeah. Um, I was editing a million and a half things. So my mind was like visually and my eyes were visually overstimulated just by staring at screens and stuff and being in a, a fluorescent room all day. Sure. And then that was already late at night. I was like, I have to calm myself down. I had to force myself, schedule time to have a wind down 
it was and 7 he PM. personally was yeah <laughs> and it was me personally night, it was, was like how i wind down i read books i got to do something calming absolutely um so me even scheduling to read a book you know that's it's that's my life that's that's who i am as a person <laughs> there's no judgment there i just realized oh, that, oh yeah you're no. a scheduled person like somebody like, oh, i'll do it before i move now you're like no i planned this time and so good day to you sir and i was like oh, okay <laughs> i guess uh, catch you later let me know when you're done <laughs> yeah well i love how you br brought that up because i am a big reader so i'm, I'm always curious about other people's um well, do you have a favorite book that you love reading that you've read like maybe a million times or something you've only read once and you know, but it has stuck with you your entire life? Is there that like that one book that really, really stands out to you? I have two books, uh, only because okay. one is more like a reference guide. So when I was in um, college, undergrad, so I'm from New York, right? So I went to college in Florida and, mm -hmm. and I always say, People say Florida isn't the South. I go, North Florida is the South. Like South Florida, it's different because it's Miami, stuff like that. But North Florida right. is like Georgia too. And so I had a tough time communicating in a very Southern way, especially me being a person of color, to address uh, people who are white because they have the different kind of roles for people of different races. And I was a resident advisor. So I had a role of authority over You're these. R.A.? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know. The rule enforcement, y'all. Yeah, uh, but I, I had awesome. to find a balance between telling these parents your kids to screw up, but then, of course, not overstepping the unwritten rules of the South where it comes to Black people addressing white people. So I went to a bookstore and I got, uh, I'm not sure if you know Emily Post. Emily Post is like the yeah. the, the, the American. Brand. Yeah, like Back the in etiquette. the what, like 40s, 40s, yeah, 50s? Yeah, the etiquette yeah. person. Uh, and, Absolutely. And she wrote a bunch of etiquette books and she launched the uh, Emily Post Foundation is basically a network of authors and her nephew wrote the book essential manners for men so i try to read that book every year or so because even though it's about 20 years old now there's still like cell phone etiquette stuff like that to learn mm -hmm. how to like the best way to navigate those social norms and you could argue why do we have to do that i go hey the world's full of double standards and unfairities it, it's okay <laughs> you just got to make it happen <laughs> but that's sure. what I, I read personally every year but if i i would say if i care about you as a person and and you're like get me a book the book i tend to gift uh is unlabeled by mark echo uh mark echo was a fashion designer that had the, the whole rhino culture back in the 90s you know the streetwear and stuff like that okay. uh mark mark echo was a was a illustrator designer fashion label um thing and to go through his journey from being a kid from jersey uh taking hip-hop culture making it work for him in his way but then due to his own arrogance almost and definitely ends up actually losing his brand, losing his company, but still maintaining his individual integrity. I always say that's a cool thing for anyone who is trying to venture out into the creative space or entrepreneurs or people who want to deal with failure or anything like that. So that's a book I gift to people I do care about. It's unlabeled. I prefer the audiobook because the guy that got to read from Mark Echo sounds like a Jersey cousin, you know, like, hey, look, oh, this nice. what happened over here. Uh, but but the, the actual book is cool because it's illustrations and there's like, it breaks it up for people who aren't big readers as well. Right. Do you prefer audiobooks or regular books? I, I think they're different experiences. Um, yeah. I, audiobooks are, are cool for what they are, especially if you're on long commutes. I had a job that was in like Irvine and I used to drive, you know, 120 miles every day. Ooh. So get by all means. I used to go to Irvine a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not fun. I know the drive. It's boring. Uh, but mm -hmm. I think reading a book, reading it with your eyes, right? It's a different kind of thing. And I do think they're separate 
if I audio book a book, I don't say I read it. I, I don't. I, I know people yeah. say, yeah, it doesn't matter, but I feel like that's a different experience altogether. But in this instance, unlabeled, I think the audiobook is superior because it does feel like some guys like saying, here's my five spot of boom. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's amazing because it's so funny. I was just talking to, I think it was James, um, actually about audio books and stuff. But I think because I'm like so <laughs> ADD, um, that when I, I've been listening to more audiobooks lately because I'm just so freaking busy, absolutely. Um, that I find audiobooks faster to get through books, like unfortunately, so but yeah. because my mind is like racing. I have to listen to audiobooks like two to three times the speed. I cannot Absolutely. listen to it at regular speed. I'm like, you are talking way too slow. <laughs> um, you have a great voice, but sorry, I got to speed you up because like I got things to do and places to be. Um, but also like it's for me because I'm such a visual learner. I'd rather read a book. But when I listen to something, it has to be faster. It has to be more direct. And for me to pay attention, keep my attention and me to also retain that information rather than reading um, mm -hmm. something visually audibly is like it has to be amped up even more so I can remember it. Sure. So. I, I'm more of an auditory listener, a uh, learner myself in general when it comes to things like charts and graphs are always great. <laughs> Give me all the charts yeah. and graphs. But like if it, if all things are left to their own devices, you telling me a process, I'll probably catch it quicker. Um, but yeah, I, I do enjoy it. And I do find myself... Uh, uh, scanning a page and missing words and, and scanning or listening to an audiobook and missing paragraphs and I have to go back. But when I do do that, I usually do overcast it 1.25 speed, 1.5 speed for sure. Yeah. I'm like 2.65 to three <laughs> anywhere there. No, no, seriously. I got to like speed it up. Um, but unlabeled, but Mark Echo never heard of him. Um, and, but like that, that's fascinating because I, I think it's great to hear from other artists in that way. And, and especially you said he was big, at, uh, he was an illustrator, he was fashion. And I'm like, I'm always fascinated by people who are, are because, you know, you and I are both artists, but I'm always fascinated by illustrators because they can draw. Right. You know, and, and people with fashion, because I, I always joke, I have like no fashion sense whatsoever. I, I may be a woman, but I could not care. <laughs> Less I disagree over here. I am disagreeing with you. It looks pretty fancy um, over there. We talking oh, about? Oh no, please! I mean, I'm wearing like, uh, it, it, I don't even know what you call it, like plushy kind of sweatpants right now. You can't tell because you only see the top. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, no, trust me, I'm not as fancy as you think. But thank you. Um, but Mark Echo, I mean, I've never heard of him. Uh, well, what got you into that book? Was it something that you just found at a library or did someone else suggest that to you? Or That's a you... good question. Uh, so growing up with the hip hop culture, everyone had Echo Unlimited, like the, the fashion label. So there was like, you know, like Calvin mm -hmm. Klein to Sean John, but everyone was wearing the red rhinos. Like that was kind of like the thing for a minute. Um, and it was kind of like a a. a, a an entry level brand like if you weren't deep into the hip-hop culture but you want to get yourself in there you start off with, yeah. with an echo piece and when i lived in glendale at the galleria there used to be a mark echo cut and sew restaurant um restaurant uh, store where it was like okay. high high-end stuff it was like his work clothes his like after 6 p.m kind of grown vibe so i used to go there all the time because i was feeling all grown and sexy buying all these pieces uh and they had it on a display the book on the display and it goes oh wow this is a guy i knew since i was in high school he's still out here making clothes let me go get it and i got the book loved it got the audiobook loved that even better and then it just became a thing that i keep that in rotation 
But I'm more yeah. of a nonfiction guy when it comes to like reading books, but that's why I kind of tend to lean towards those. But that's actually one of my favorites. Really? All right. Nonfiction. What's your favorite nonfiction? Uh, besides Unlabel, uh, there's yeah. a story, The American Icon. Uh, that's a story about the Ford Motor Company uh, before the oh, nice. before the uh, collapse of 2008. Basically, to make a long story short, the Ford family was in charge of this company. Everyone was so used to the status quo, didn't really want to tell how they were losing their money. They started juggling around their, their finances. And Bill Ford knew this and got uh, basically the OCO of Boeing, Alan Mulally, to come in and just cut through the BS. And during the the recession of 2008, Ford was the only company that didn't ask for a bailout. Yeah, they had to sell Jaguar. Yeah, they had to sell Aston Martin, but they didn't ask for a bailout from the government. And that became like an American folk story. Everyone's like started buying Fords. And after that, it's like, yeah, bootstraps. (laughs) They don't need government handouts. And Ford is so American too. So Mm -hmm. I I I remember that. Yes, so do I. (laughs) Um, You know, it's so funny um, because my dad's actually from Detroit's. And so he like Ford was definitely a big thing that he grew up with that he instilled within my family, either Fords or Chevys, like American, American, American. And but my dad's cousin actually is pretty high up in the Ford company right now. He's like VIP or VIP, uh, VP or like he's second or third, like literally on the board. Um, He's crazy, Um, crazy in a good way, you know, like crazy (laughs) successful at at Ford. and like the the thing that always astounds me is that I know that because he's so up, you, you know, that the employees have to drive Fords to, you know, self promote in that way. And his, I mean, this sounds terrible, but it's so awesome that he has to drive like two or three of the newest models every year. So like every like five or six months, he switches out cars, brand new Ford cars, top of the line that like no one else has just to promote. Like this is our new model coming out. Um, And I think that's awesome. I was like, gosh, what it's like to have like the, the newest car constantly on rotation yeah. i think that's an awesome position to be in oh absolutely um so yeah well, i was doing like the opposite do like a 69 f100 just yeah. <laughs> keeping the same car forever and ever and ever i don't know he might have like his old classics like just <laughs> collecting dust in the garage but i i know that he has uh um, that's that's part of his you know contract that he has to like drive the the alt ultimate top cars of the year. I'm like, wow, that seems like such a terrible thing to be to, <laughs> to do, you know, gosh, bully for you. Um, but yeah, so I like to think I'm always, I'm like kind of connected to Ford tertiary sure. <laughs> in, a, yeah. in a way of like very tangentially, I guess you can say. Um, but yeah, I, I always grew up with Ford. So just, have you ever been to the Ford museum? I, I'm going to get there eventually uh, because yeah. Detroit has a baseball team. And so as I am yes. a baseball chaser, I'll probably get to Detroit at one point, but I haven't had the pleasure of checking it out. I hear it's, uh, the downtown is like one of the best underrated downtowns in Detroit. So I always want to visit that area too. So Yeah. Well, I, honestly, Detroit has gotten so much better within the last 10, 20 years because I used to go as a kid because my dad still has family in Detroit. So we used to go to Detroit on the regular um, but you know it was it was pretty run down. Um, but they've they've gotten some gentrification and definitely have um, you know improved the the downtown area of Detroit within the last like twenty years. So it looks nicer than it did say back in the nineties. Wow, I'll just say that. So if you ever go to Detroit, definitely go to the Ford Museum because it's cool. You can see like 
the the old t-bird model whatever they have um gosh i don't even know but you can learn all about like henry ford and the assembly line it's it's fascinating because i i went as a kid but i still remember a lot of it as an adult now it's it's just a cool museum where you learn so much about the american history and just like the evolution of you know cars and like what it did to our economy and just the society back then um back in the early 1900s you know late 1800s 1900s when like only a certain amount of people only rich people had cars mm-hmm. um and then how you can see the evolution of how um you know years later everyone was starting to drive cars and ford was at the t- at the forefront of, of that and it's it's cool to see the american history in that way yeah, so, that was yeah. the way I rebelled in my family because until I got my first, I drive an Edge now, but the first Edge I had was like the first Edge in 07 and my family were all Toyotas and I was scared bringing that car home. I was like, my dad's <laughs> going to disown me so hard. <laughs> but it tries like like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for driving an American car. <laughs> right. Ah, uh, that's amazing. So y- you're a fan of baseball too. I mean, uh, I didn't. I knew you liked basketball, so like we'll definitely get into that. Yeah. But um, you have a favorite baseball team? Oh yeah, the Other New than York Metropolitan. New York's. Yeah, okay. New York <laughs> uh, I, I, my Mets, sports fandom right? goes. Yeah, Brooklyn Nets for sure. Uh, but the yeah. New York Mets are like my team. Um, I unlike most people, I don't hate the Yankees organization. The fans can jump in a lake, but I, I don't hate the Yankees organization. <laughs> but what I like about the New York Mets, especially now that I've lived in Florida and I live in LA and I kind of travel a lot more now than I've ever had before, is that because the team has underachieved historically for so long, that mm-hmm. when you see someone with a Mets hat, they have some connection to your hometown. And that to me is the world when you're in Italy or when you're in Miami or when you're in Orange County and you're like, are you from New York? You go, oh yeah, I'm from, my mom's from, my grandma's from. It's kind of like a tribal symbol, a tribal mark. Now with the Yankees, they've been so good for so long, so many championships, you can get a Yankee hat in in UK and that's it. No one's like, I like baseball or or, I love Jay-Z, I love Fred Dersch, but the Mets are so cool. And as I got older and I understand that baseball is not being as cool to those younger generations, I feel like it's become like a responsibility for me to learn the game more, to pass it down to the whole generation because- as a person of color, you all know the Negro League influence in the game. So I want to pay that forward. What was that passed down from your your parents, your grandfathers, or, or was that something that you always loved? It, it is kind of awkward because like my dad, my dad grew up with cricket, again, being West Indian, okay. right? The cricket was yeah. a sport and it's a whole different mm-hmm. thing. And so when he got here, it was kind of like, uh, okay, let's see this American cricket. And I got into wrestling the same way. My dad was really more of a, let's see what this American culture is about. <laughs> he would go out there and try stuff. And, and uh, but yeah, it was, it hit those lazy Sunday games. He would have it on while he was uh, sleeping on the couch. And when his work schedule changed and he had to work Sundays, he would just come home and, and, and in mid progress and check out. And so, yeah, I guess that's what it was. I chose the Mets early day one. My dad was kind of more of a baseball guy until this is kind of a, a deep cut, but it was a game where the Mets yeah. played the Yankees and uh, uh, Mike Piazza had broken a bat uh, and and Roger Clemens took the bat shut and threw it at Mike Piazza. And when that oh, happened, my dad was like, forget the Yankees, they're the worst. Uh, but I was always a Mets fan and I still get to tease him about that now. And, and I go home as my dad is like now 73 and he's mobile, but he's not really doing a whole lot. He goes out for walks or whatever. So I try mm-hmm. to have a game time with him. I like, remember this when we were kids. We watched this game on TV and on Channel 9 or whatever. So, yeah, the Mets are my team. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I wish I knew more about baseball. Uh, I mean, I was more a basketball fan, you know this. But my my parents love baseball. And like, so I, I got a kind of like a secondary knowledge from them more so just from watching whatever games that they had on. And like, they're not big into sports whatsoever, but they do pay for like the, the entire season package for yeah. MLB. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're, they're older, they're retired. They're the same age as your parents and they, you know, they're home all day. They can watch whatever <laughs> game yeah. they have. But I came from Illinois and I had such a split household with my parents because my dad's also, you know, from Detroit. So he loves, I think it's the Tigers. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. My, but my mom would always like flip flop between either the Cardinals, which is, you know, uh, St. Louis or, or the Cubs, depending uh -huh. on like whichever team was doing better that season. So like, it, it was a very split household in that sense, but like none of my siblings like baseball. Wait, it was on. just you my parents. Los Angeles, Marissa. You can go to a Dodger game like that or the Angels. I was an Angels game this Tuesday. What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> I've, I've been to an Angels game. I've been to three Angels games. Don't like, ask me it. how. Yeah. yeah like, no, I mean, like, I think, and that's the thing with baseball. Like, me personally, I think it's actually more enjoyable in person mm -hmm. than it is watching it on screen. I don't know because it, in person, uh, obviously, it's like such an experience, and the hot dogs are great, mm -hmm. um, despite them being like $12, $13, whatever, get over the price. Uh, but I, I think it's more fun and it feels like it goes faster in person because yeah. watching it on screen on like a regular television it goes for like three four hours like yo i got things to do right. and I, I don't know i just feel like the pacing's so much different i gotta jump in here only because they they have the pitch clock this season and and to do that yeah, you have to throw the ball good. in 15 seconds or less if no one's on base and the games have been cut from three hours and four minutes to about two hours and 21 uh, well, it, thank is God. it is super quick now. We saw I saw Tommy on Tuesday, and it was like, oh, by by nine o'clock we were done. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great, and I love how we, when did they implement that? Just the season, the first season, this season. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so two awesome. weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, good, good. People, <laughs> you know, people's time is precious. I love when basketball did that. Um, the the whole shot clock going from you know twenty four resetting back to twenty four. Where you know you, you get the ball in possession and the shot clock keeps going from like say eleven seconds instead of resetting back to twenty four, and I feel like the pacing of NBA games is so much faster in that sense for the better too because now the longest NBA game is like barely three hours. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I love that because you know it's just like just keep us again keep it with the schedule. We we are on a timetable, people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that. And I think maybe I wonder why they they implemented maybe because people had the same complaint as I did that baseball just felt too long. Yeah, it that's, is, the, that's the major one for sure. It was the yeah, people it was that like, felt that. Right. I mean, it's what, 18 people out in the field standing around for maybe someone to hit a ball? 18 <laughs> I <don't know>. people? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, again, I don't watch baseball. Wait, is it nine people? I don't know. I mean, nine you can imagine a game? basketball game with 20 people on the court. Like, let's Oh, my real. God. <laughs> that'd be a lot. That'd be way too many. Way too yeah. many. But, like, again, I think that's just my ignorance of baseball that me personally, I, I think you could tell that I'm like such a faster paced person that maybe me preferentially, it just seems way too slow for me to enjoy it. Sure. Um, but uh, but I respect in that way because, I mean, it is an American pastime and everyone loves it. Every time I go there, that's like it 
it is such an experience and it's uh, you don't forget it because it, it really and i think it differs because i've been to cubs game too when sammy sosa was big oh wow you know back yeah. in early like in the 90s early 2000s i've been to a few when sammy sosa was there did i tell you oh well i don't think you would ever know this but no one would um i once not to say he's a bad driver <laughs> But I, I went to, okay, quick short story. I went to a Cubs game and uh, the Cubs were like up winning like by so much that they let Sammy Sosa leave the game early because they're like, no matter what we do, they're, they're, the other team's not going to win. So we're just going to like cut you loose early. And me and my dad, we left the game early too because like, well, we, we know the Cubs won. And we were walking out on the sidewalk crossing the street and there's a guy speeding through, like, with no cares of the pedestrians. And we look, we're like, holy shit, that's Sammy Sosa in the car. <laughs> he's driving. He's literally leaving the game driving. And he's, like, speeding through all these pedestrians. I'm like, all right, Sammy Sosa, calm down. Catch <laughs> um, that flight. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I'm like, huh, that's Sammy Sosa. Almost, <laughs> He almost hit us. Vehicle um, homicide that, by Sammy Sosa. Right. And like that, that always stuck with me. And I was like, what, nine, ten? But yeah, that, that that's like my only interaction, uh, I guess you could say, with Sammy Sosa. Um, well, I would say yeah. check out a game now with the pitch clock and see how you feel. I'm not sure when or where, but just okay. see the difference. If it feels different to you with the pitch clock or whatever. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go visit my family soon, so maybe. And now that baseball's back in session, uh, I'll I'll ask them. Be like, all right, I know this is gonna be a surprise, but can we watch a baseball game just so Don't I can see? Like because Lobo told me to watch a baseball game. <laughs> That's awful. Take your taxes. I know it's April fifteenth. <laughs> oh my gosh, I finally did my taxes. I, I I've been that. like. I know I've been putting it off, and I was like, all right, let's be a good big girl. Put on your big girl shoes and <laughs> let's do your taxes. It only took me 29 minutes. Wow. I know. I know. I was like, that's the fastest I've ever gotten through my taxes. So, no, I, I love that. All right. Uh, pivoting a little bit into basketball because you and I are both NBA fans. Basketball, I know you're a big fan of the Nets, too. How, how yeah. are you feeling about them? Uh, your favorite well... team? Yes. I mean, okay, yes. Yeah. So here's some backstory. So I, like most people in New York, I was a Knicks fan because the, the, the Nets yeah. were, were Jersey. And and back in, was it 98, the Spreewell year, when when the, the Knicks mm -hmm. went to the finals and dropped it in five games, I was so heartbroken. I kind of walked away from basketball at all. I became like a, a star chaser. I was like, I'm only going to follow my guy or or what have you. I didn't yeah. even have a guy. But it, it took... Uh, my buddy, who was a lawyer in, in New York, had floor seats to the Nets. He's like, look, man, I'm with my kid in Orlando. You're in New York this week. Do you want to go just to a game? And I was like, hey, it's basketball. I don't know. And so I went, and I was just floored by how Brooklyn that team was. This was the early days of Nets, of the Brooklyn Nets. They had, like, the mm -hmm. Brooklyn Knight mascot. They had like, oh, like wow. you saw like the old Jewish mothers next to the Italian dudes next <laughs> to the, the 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 black fraternities from the local college. Like it felt like oh, the entire Brooklyn was here. And when they score, they play fabulous as Brooklyn. I was like, ah, oh, it's my hometown. So I was totally uh, enamored. Now the most dysfunctional team ever. Uh, ups and downs <laughs> are the best way to describe the last 
ever. <laughs> but they somehow find a way to win. So I, I can't knock them. They look pretty good. Hopefully uh, they can start a, a winning culture that's sustainable for a change. Uh, and hopefully the dark days are over. But we we lived through scary hours. We lived through the old old Kevin Garnett ever. Like it's just been one oh, thing after the yeah. other. Yeah. When him and Paul Pierce went to Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. When went to Brooklyn. That was like such a heartbreaking thing for Celtics. We're like, really? You had this legacy of a career at the Celtics for this short amount of time you were actually there like a handful of years and then you retire as Brooklyn Nets oh but I remember that that was a big trade because I believe like Celtics because of that trade Celtics got a number one pick in the draft yeah that was it all the pick it was definitely a win now and then like always it was just a playoff appearance and then early exit and we didn't have any any picks left after that trade yeah, and then Celtics, crazy enough, traded their one pick to the number three pick. Hey. I'm like, well, what was that whole trade for? If you're just going to trade off your number one pick for a number three. But they ended up picking up um, Jason Tatum. So, which Are you I'm a Celtics like, fan? In, yeah. Wait, I thought you were a Chicago Bulls fan. No? Oh, you would think. Um, yeah. I was, I was in the 90s, of course, when, you know, Jordan was, was huge. I mean, he was ubiquitous and in chicago in illinois and i was just telling someone else a couple days ago actually was that like you couldn't go a day without jordan's name being dropped in some fashion it was like we we could be talking about like alcohol or drinks and stuff and somehow jordan would come up in a random conversation um so he he was everywhere so i definitely watched the bulls as a kid but then i did yeah did i ever tell you how i became a celtics fan no, breaking news uh, for me. No, yeah, let's 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 dive deep into this. Um, actually, so in yeah, I want to say like two thousand seven, two thousand six. Back then, I mean, I was high school. Um, I, I was watching a Bulls game actually, and they were just getting their ass beat so hard. <laughs> like, they, I mean, it it was embarrassing for for the Bulls. I was like, who's this other team that's just like spanking them really hard? It ended up being Celtics, and and then um and then I just started watching Celtics, and that wow. was great, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that. Your fandom was just, just yeah. I was like, I was like, well, like these guys are good. I'm just gonna watch them. And then like it could have been, I, I mean, call me crazy, but it could have been the same year where they had the big three trade, where um, Garnett and Ray Allen came to the Celtics that year. So that was what twenty, yeah, two thousand seven, because they won championship in two thousand eight. So I think it was that season. Um, because the the year before, I think they went Celtics had this like amazing percentage change from going like the worst team of the like one of the worst lowest teams of the year to one of the highest within a year, and it, it was that whole big three trade. Oh so, wow! I just I'm yeah, still in awe about how you change alliances. <laughs> like I know you suck. These guys are great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm but I'm that kind of person too that like. If you're if you're not doing good, if your quality and performance is bad, I'm right. gonna follow the person who's doing better, who's doing like the work or job better. No matter like if it's a team, if it's a person, if it's sure. a celebrity, whatever. If something, if I see something at a better, higher quality, I'm gonna start following them. Okay, so that means yeah. I would say you you get one change team token, but you're saying you can change from the Boston Celtics to something else if they start to be really bad. Yeah, but you know what? In in fairness, I've been following the Celtics since. 
2008. They've been have they've been having a great year. I haven't switched since. Okay. And when I went to Boston for the first time, of course I went to a Boston Celtics game at the TD Garden. It was awesome, and of course they won that day too. So that was. I know you were coming, yeah. Um. Yeah, I was like, you know what, Marissa's here, so you you better get a win. Um, I think I got like free Buffalo Wild Wings. They, they, there was one of those offerings. If like if the Celtics win this game, that everybody gets free whatever. And I think that day was like free Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't switched NBA teams since. So, wow, I don't know. I'm weird. No, you know, I mean, I switched teams. I went from the Knicks to the Nets, right? So I get that. I just yeah. feel like the way you switch just begs the question. If they have like a, they throw up like a ten and seventy two season, are you going to like say, okay, I'm a Suns fan now? Like I don't know how that. Yeah, works. no, I'm, I haven't done. Maybe that was just me at that time when I was a teenager. I was like, yo, I like these guys, but yeah, and Celtics have been have been up and down within the last fifteen plus years now since that's happened. Um. But like I've still been following them, even despite their bad, worse seasons that they've had in between. But like they're they're on the up and up now. They they're in high placement this season, so yeah, they're like they're in a better position to win a championship again than they were like five years ago. So all yeah. thanks to you, <laughs> <laughs> all thanks to me and my loyalty to this team for the last fifteen <laughs> plus years. Right yeah, no. So you, I mean, you you love the Nets that were originally, um, you know, a different team in that way. Do you have another favorite team other than that one? Oh, in who basketball? else do you like? Yeah, who else do you like? Following? Um, I I tend to go to more Clippers games. Not like I Clippers. hate the Lakers to say over, but it's it's because again they're a the second team in a the city. They tend to be a lot more fan friendly. Like, please come to our games. Oh God, please so you get, <laughs> get cheaper tickets, and so you can go to the floor and have a good time. Like Halloween, I got comp tickets, and I was like, great, nice. more beer money for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Heck so, yeah. So yeah, I do that. But I guess I root for them in like a very general sense. I'm not a hardcore fan, but I go to more games. Yeah, I mean, and Staples Center. Well, it's not Staples Center anymore now. Uh, it was it Crypto Arena? Crypto.com Arena, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was kind of sad the day that that finally changed because I had been there when it was still the Staples Center and then they switched over to the Crypto Arena like literally the next month. I'm like, what happened? And me not knowing the, the whole deal that went down be, behind the scenes and stuff. I was like, oh, I had... I had no idea because it was just Staples Center like last week and not crypto. Like, what the hell happened? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I haven't been to a Clippers game. I have been to Lakers. Usually when it's the Lakers Celtics, when Celtics are in town, I generally make a point to go to the Celtics. Oh, Lakers nice. yeah. yeah, even those are <laughs> the most expensive tickets. So the season, but it's definitely worth it. It's definitely, again, with that experience. I'm such an experienced person. It's, I, I, find it more fun and entertaining when you see it in person absolutely to, that's you know, care about watching it on tv right heck yeah um well i know you're a filmmaker too i mean we both went to film school i think that's what we first bonded over and so i think you know where this conversation is going um who would you say your favorite director is or do you have one or two that you just really follow their career their style um who sticks out to you it, it is kind of a funny question because like for a long time, I was like, oh, I just love technique, man. I love technique. Because, like, my yeah. favorite movie of all time is Men in Black. And I'll be the first one to admit that. My first day of film right. school, everyone looked at me like I was crazy because I, how dare I pick a pop movie? But when I was, I think, I'm old. I was 12 years old when that movie came out. Uh, and 
and when I saw that you could mix sci-fi and comedy and drama all in one, I thought it was very, very possible. So I like technique, but I wouldn't say Barry Sonnenfeld is a favorite director. Like I wouldn't, <laughs> I, would, yeah, I would not yeah. say that at all. Um, but I will say, and it, it it's, it is kind of like a, a, a mass pop answer, but when he was alive and was doing the flashbang era of his career, I would go and see a Tony Scott movie. Uh, pretty pretty easily. Okay. Like I I would see Domino. I would see Man on Fire. Some of my favorite ones of all time. When I'm homesick uh, for New York, I'll watch the Taking of Pelham One Two Three, the Don Tavolta Denzel Washington version. Uh, yeah, because yeah. it has. I've never like, seen it. Oh yeah, it's a remake. That's why I have to do all that like <laughs> all that like <laughs> asterisk. But yeah, you know, it's it's a subway thriller. Uh, and it, so, you know, my dad with the whole transit authority, me being in New York, the idea of a guy with a, a little small shanty house in Queens trying to make it trying to be done and do good was pretty cool. So Tony Scott was always my answer, but I was really more in the technique and a lot of favorite directors from people I don't really care for. Like I'm not a W.S. Anderson fan. I, I do not like Tarantino at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was a big influence for a lot of my classmates when I, when I was in film school and I had to be the guy to be, you know, quiet when someone's like, oh man, Jackie Brown's the best movie of all time. You're like, is it though? <laughs> you know yeah. So. Um. You you said Tony Scott. I mean, I've seen a few of his films. I mean, he. I mean, he was a big influence for other directors too. What would you? Uh, do you have a favorite Tony Scott film? Uh, I liked Man on Fire. My it was one of my favorite films for a long time. I mean, now, I think now it's still top Washington, five. Denzel Washington. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Denzel Washington, yeah. Dakota Fanning, back when she was like the it girl it child yeah, actress were... uh that mm -hmm. was kind of one of my favorite ones and then i like also when i'm homesick i pop in uh pella one two three but if you look at a uh, uh, days of thunder for what it was it being a nascar film <laughs> yeah. that was pretty cool and uh and um oh and Beverly hills cop yeah Beverly hills cop too the second one uh the second one was pretty much a cool sequel and even though the the third one does not get revered as much i do think it was a cool franchise uh all yeah, this just shows how woefully ignorant I am too, because I haven't seen any of those. Have you seen Enemy um, of the State? Yeah, any. Uh, I have seen Enemy of the State. That's a good film. That's a big one of his um, more famous ones. Spy Game. Yeah. Those two were like his more more famous ones. Spy Game is great, great movie too. Um, but the 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 more recent ones in the early two thousands, you know, because what Man of Fire was what two thousand four, two thousand five. Um, I remember when that came out. I, I never watched it too. But, uh, and in the Beverly Hills cops, too, everyone keeps telling me to watch Beverly Hills. I'm like, what was it? Because I work in Beverly Hills? You now have to watch it. Um, but also, I know that just, you know, because my government job, we had to have city council meetings where we, um, I know Netflix and the, just the whole production had to um, personally and like professionally ask um, to have like certain streets of Beverly Hills shut down for the production of the new upcoming Beverly Hills Cop oh. with Eddie Murphy for the Netflix version. And well. like we we had like three different council member or like council city council meetings about it. And all the council members like agree. They're like, yeah, we love these movies, but um, we, we know that the comedy back in the 80s, 90s or whenever they came out, I think it was the 80s. Uh, like not so much PC right now. So like they were asking but like for the script, they were asking for like what's the content of the new movie just so they know what the premise was that they can approve of so they can also approve of the street closures. I'm like, wow, huh, that even that's like, like very granular. <laughs> yeah, is that an overreach I think at that time? Like you really I think it was an overreach. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, so. I mean, Beverly Hills is like the 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 chief, uh, not in my backyard, I guess. Uh, yeah. Kind of vibe. Uh, the movies now are kind of like cool time capsules of the '80s, so that was always cool to watch yeah. it. But back then, it was like, oh my gosh! Again, almost like a Men in Black, a comedy action class type deal with Eddie Murphy, who's the hottest property ever. So I can't think of anyone who hated the first two movies, you know, at all. Yeah, I I still have again that's yet on my list that I will slowly get to for for those movies because I think when the new one comes out, I'll probably just marathon it one day marathon all of them and just be like all right seen it next because i mean not that i have anything against eddie murphy i mean he was big in that in the 90s 80s 90s you know 70s but but like when i was a kid back when the 90s he was still like top of his game and um so i only really know like shrek and dr doolittle and <laughs> and mulan you know like i i feel like i got him I got the '90s version of Eddie Murphy, not in his back in his heyday of the '70s, '80s version. Oh yeah, forty-eight so, hours, another forty-eight hours. Yeah. Uh, what's the Uptown Saturday Night, uh, Harlem Nights? Yeah, those are those are classics. Yeah, I know. Well, but also never heard of those. So I think that that goes to show, like I know the generational gap, but also um, <laughs> I, called the old I, I just I never made the effort to watch his stuff too, and like I guess that that's that's also on me too. But there's I don't know. I just there. yeah, there there's so much content. Would you say you're more into comedy, or do you run the gamut with all different because you being a filmmaker i feel like just us in general we tend to have a lot of different interests in a lot of different genres so well it's funny because like most people so here's i realize about not becoming cool anymore like you don't wake up old and become uncool i think what happens is as you get older and you have less and less free time or downtime you're less willing to experiment mm -hmm. if you know the office is your jam you're just going to watch the office and it, it becomes a bit of a recursive thing where all your references are on the same kind of shows so yeah. the, to answer your question i like to say that i'm open i like the good action film like an action comedy but i found myself especially in the pandemic uh launching a podcast just talking about the most random things on say netflix to keep myself fresh enough for content because i realized i wasn't the guy looking and discovering things i was a guy going Oh, that's a cool recommendation. I'll add it to my list and not watch it at all. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I love the Fast and Furious movies. I see those day one. I know filmmakers get mad when I say I watch superhero films, but to be honest, with you no one's spoiling Scorsese movies. They spoil Marvel movies. So I go to yeah. see those superhero movies all the time. Uh, but I, I love my spectacle. I think that a lot of times filmmakers and and i have all respect in the world for someone like christopher nolan because he has a very uh unique perspective but when he sits there and belly aches and goes oh man everyone wants to see superheroes don't see my movies i'm like then make better movies right because mm. the thing we all love about going to the theater was there was a attraction that we wanted to see doesn't care if it's drama or it doesn't care if it's like aliens we all saw it together if you're doing tenet and you're doing inception and people are not showing up to see your movies that's a flaw because it's always been the art and commerce of filmmaking that what makes the hollywood movies the movies and so i i get yeah. kind of like contrarian but then at the same time I'm like well who the hell am i right all i have is a degree <laughs> uh from chapman university i'm not an actual filmmaker as far as on that level but i have made films before and i said you gotta yeah. give someone who worked at their crappy job or their okay job who put the money down to a ticket to see your show the price of their ticket and more that's a responsibility you have as a creator Absolutely. And I, I love how you bring that up too, because, you know, like I've made short films and I've been part of 
um, other people's actual films that have won awards and that have been, you know, have run the the circuit of the f- film festivals and stuff like that. So like I I am filmmaking like all my content that I make are usually for other people. Very rarely do I make something for myself. And like this podcast actually being one of my first personal creative po- things that I do. Uh more so cuz I spent a decade plus doing podcasting for other people. Um, which is fine, you know, that was my job. And like I as a creative, I was in that sense creating content, but it wasn't for me. Um but now that I, I've gotten to a point in my life where it's like, well, I know how to do everything. What's my excuse? Why am I not making it for myself? I was like, you call yourself a creative, but you don't have anything like to show in your portfolio because everything else was for everything. Like everything I've done is for everybody else. So I, I get that whole like kind of like an imposter syndrome. Um but we are filmmakers. You gotta remember that we do both of us, we have degrees, we've made stuff. Um, we might not show it or, or brag about it, but we are, are filmmakers in that way. We have acquired knowledge. And I have to keep reminding myself, it's like, no, I am a filmmaker. I haven't made a short film in I don't know how many years, but that doesn't mean I have never made a short film. Sure. Um, that doesn't mean I'm I'm not a filmmaker now, even though because I haven't done it. But I know it, it, it's like that whole like like you said, that that whole message that you have to keep telling and reminding yourself that, no, we are artists. Um and we do have opinions about other people's creative work too, like when in that subjectiveness of what we think is good and what we think is bad. And it sounds like Nolan has that as well, right? Um, and like I, I do love his films for the most part, and like he's one of the, the best directors when it comes to nonlinear stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also he's so, it, it gets a little over the top where like you have to pay attention you have to watch the movies over and over again just to understand it because it is so complex he's great at it but also you know that like the rewatchability factor in his it might not be as big a uh, marvel film in, mm-hmm. in that sense so i'm like I, i'm excited for his oppenheimer movie to come out yeah. um prestige was great like inception was great tenet confused the shit out of me <laughs> and uh i watched tenet so tenet was the first movie that i watched out of the pandemic when they were finally starting to open up the amc theaters like i have gone my entire life not going to the movie theaters like every other week and then um so when they shut the movie theaters down during the pandemic and I hadn't gone in like nine months, nine, ten months at that time, I was like, oh, my God, I need to do something. And they were finally opening them back up. Tenant was the first one. I was like, ooh, that was a tough one to go back to. Yeah. Um, that was my reintroduction to movies. And I was so confused. I was like, oh, it's all dense. right. Yeah, it's and I still I haven't watched it since. I can imagine you go into a theater after like lounging out on the couch for like three years to be sitting upright for three hours <laughs> to watch yeah. a movie. <laughs> to to watch a movie that's like red and blue and going backwards and forwards with timelines. So I'm like, oh, okay, where are we? Yeah. I was like, I should have had more coffee to understand this one. What was uh, the first movie yeah, I saw? Sorry. Was it Fast Nine? I think was it. I think Fast Nine was the first movie I saw after the pandemic, and the, okay. the last one I saw before the pandemic was Sonic the Hedgehog. So you know me, high class art. Oh, what your right. boy, yeah. That's what your boy does. My my last movie before the pandemic, because like it literally shut down like three days later, um, was Onward. 
the Disney movie. Oh yeah, with yeah, yeah. The, the two brothers going on that adventure with like they were wizards or whatever. They had a staff. I, that, that's like the poorest um, synopsis of that movie. But <laughs> I was on yeah, board. onward. Um, and I saw that in a- April. No, 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 March, March of twenty twenty. Um, like the first or second week whenever that came out, and then the world shut down like March eighteenth. Yeah. So I was like, what happened? I was stuck <laughs> I was in like, Florida for a day uh, for that. Because yeah. uh, my school had invited me to teach a comedy class and I was like, I'll do it. And so I think I was, I landed the Wednesday and my flight out was a Sunday. And the Thursday was when the NBA walked off the court uh, in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of the game. And I was uh-huh. like, what are we doing? But thankfully it was Florida. So they still didn't believe it. <laughs> but yeah. if I was like in California or New York, I'm pretty sure I would have been stuck there for months or whatever. For sure. I remember Florida was one of the, um, um, let me say, say what you want about Florida, but when the pandemic was happening, like all those um, spring breakers were like refusing to believe coronavirus was a big thing. And then they were still partying. And then they had the whole outbreak down there. I'm like, well, now do you believe it? So Florida yeah. was kind of like slow in, in that in that I, sense i'll be honest but. with you as much as a, a a big of a wrestling fan that i am and i mm-hmm. have been a wrestling fan since i was i don't know a year old you know what i mean watching it when okay. the great state of florida said that professional wrestling was an essential business i was like what are we doing here and so every <laughs> wrestling promotion moved to florida and now they take shows from florida for a good two years because it was essential business yeah so i didn't realize wrestling was so big in florida yeah, like uh, AEW's thing was based out of Jacksonville. Uh, the owner of AEW also owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. And in uh, okay. WWE, their their base camp is in Orlando or Winter Park, uh, and it's called NXT. So everything shut down, but then Florida made an essential business, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And so everyone we're just like, we're shows. still going. Yeah, it was just the most surreal thing. You're like, are you sure this is essential? Because I was a comedian <laughs> at home. They told mm-hmm. me I was not essential. I'm watching people flip around and stuff. They're like, props? I hope everyone eats. I don't get me wrong. I'm just saying kind of weird. Right. Well, you said you you grew up with wrestling and you've been a fan your entire life. What is it about wrestling that that keeps you still being a fan over like your entire life? Oh, yeah. Well, it's one of the cool things now that people are coming around to it. I felt when I was a kid, I had to like constantly convince people I was actually smart and I liked wrestling. Now everyone's on mm-hmm. it. It's like cool. But to me, it's uh, it's very Shakespearean. And I understand that Shakespeare is considered high art now, but when mm-hmm. those plays were written, they really were for the masses. Talk about spectacle, right? Uh, murder right. and sex and stuff like that. It was for everybody, just that people who had money had better seats in the house. Uh, wrestling is theater in the round. And so the emotions, the the, the athleticism, the, the facial expressions, all that stuff is like our version of Shakespeare plays or Kabuki theater. And I also, for me, I'm a character guy. And so I know wrestling moves are great. I know storylines are something people like about wrestling. A lot of times it gets compared to soap operas. I don't quite agree with that, but I understand. Because <laughs> uh, James and I go about this all the time. But for me- Because there's character- drama. There's yeah, rivalries. I, 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 there is. And I know soap operas are like that. Uh, and But for me, I feel like 
most of the resolutions in wrestling have to be combat, right? Someone has to fight at the end of it. So to me, yeah. it's more like a superhero comic book. But then if it gets people to watch, if you think it's Days of Our Lives, <laughs> then fine. You know what I mean? I've, I've given mm -hmm. up on that. But I'm more of a character guy. And so I like having put myself in a character and go, well, how would Stone Cold act in this situation? How would Roman Reigns act in this situation? To me, that's so much more fun. Seeing the costumes, seeing the posturing, seeing the attitude, you know what I mean? It's amazing. Yeah. All right. So you, I mean, you mentioned some of your like. Okay. Two questions. You you said about characters. Um. The was it heels versus faces. Ba bases. Faces. Like oh, faces. Face. I was like, oh, faces. Yeah, like, again, faces. like yeah. I I know a lot about wrestling only because like I had to produce so many wrestling podcasts at After Buzz TV. There was a point where like I was producing every single wrestling show, like all five of them. And I was like, we need more people who like wrestling so they can engineer it and not me. Um, that was like because, a baseball like, disdain. <laughs> yeah, there, there was like, and it was naturally because because I was forced to produce so many wrestling shows, I naturally grew a disdain. I was like, I don't want to listen to wrestling anymore. So heels versus faces. Are you more, uh, who do you root for more, heels or faces? So one of the cool things about, about reviewing wrestling nonstop for the past four years straight. Uh, my last mm -hmm. show ended up, it was like, I don't really care. Um, I do like strong characters and good storylines and good athleticism, thankfully. Uh, but I would say that before that, before the, the I don't want to say wrestling journalist, but before the review era <laughs> of my career, I was one of the few adults that were into the good guys. Everyone loves okay. a villain. Everyone thinks Superman is boring. Uh, so everyone says, I'll pick a heel. But I love the fact that for faces to work, you have to put them through the ringer and how they overcome, if they're overcome to me, will always be a story I can relate to because your boy Flopito takes so many L's in real life. But I understand everyone loves Darth Vader, you know, everyone you know, loves that kind of badassery. So I get most people would probably say heels are better for them. Okay. So who's your favorite wrestler? Do you have one or two that you're like, oh, this this person, this is the this is the guy or girl that, you know, I'm just gonna follow. You're talking about all time, we're talking about currently or yeah, sure. All time, currently, whoever. <laughs> Who do you love most for your, so, for your When I was a kid, I was a big, well, the big three of you guys as a kid were uh, Tatanka, who was a Native American character, Razor Ramon, which was more like a South Beach Scarface character, and Duke the okay. Dumpster Drozzy, which was a nobody that basically was a trash man that <laughs> wrestled a week. <laughs> uh, as an athleticism character balance, I was a big D'Lo Brown fan. I actually have his action figure over there still in the box because I'm such a, uh, a nerd yeah. when it comes to that sort of thing. I think one nice. of the uh, uh, wrestler Sheamus does not get the credit he uh, deserves because he's been there for about 15 years now just, just hitting these hard-hitting matches and showing people you can really have a hard-hitting affair and still have it be predetermined and nowadays on NXT on the way up Carmelo Hayes has pretty much put that brand on his back he is him and he's a brother as well uh, when I was doing an NXT podcast on my own at Wrestlemania Carmelo walked up to me and said hey look not a lot of people know what we're doing but you do I appreciate your coverage and I thought I'm a fan for life. You didn't have to say that at all. So yeah, Carmelo Hayes, Seamus, D'Lo Brown, Duke Drozzi, Tatanka, Razor Ramon, those are the all times. Okay. That's then you know, that's fascinating because you know, I am I know a good amount about wrestling, mostly just because of the shows I produce, but I don't follow it like you do. Um I don't know names other than the people who came in and out of, you know, our networks. So like I knew a lot of the the people from like the 
2010s onwards mm -hmm. um like any big wrestler name in that sense still cold steve austin um he pissed me off one day and i'm like okay i know who you are but wow <laughs> uh, yeah so i i don't know because like I've I don't want to like poo poo wrestling, but I do understand that it is such a humongous fandom, and everyone there's like the the fans are just so incredibly avid, and I I appreciate that because there is an entertainment spectacle like you said about it. So they're like something they're at, at wrestling they're doing something right, and yeah no no go I I, I that's one thing I try to stop um. It is the whole gatekeeping thing. I mean, I love being avid, I love being passionate, but uh, anytime I feel it's closed off, um, I have to step in. And I, and at AfterBuzz TV, I mean, the host there had a certain kind of vibe, uh, a certain kind of air about how they covered the sport. And so when I got to be a host there, I opened it up. I let everyone basically become a co-host just to make that happen. And that's why I had mm -hmm. a, a Star Trek show too, because it was like everyone was like, oh, you like this Star Trek? You should like this Star Trek, but not that Star Trek. What are you crazy? Right. Um, yes, every time there's a fandom, there's a there's a 10% fanatic rule that could probably ruin it for everyone. But I always say this: if you like rock concerts and pyro, if you like loud music, if you like seeing people have basically stage combat, you should enjoy wrestling. Watch what looks cool to you pick a person and run with them and everything else will fall into place. But yes, if you watch a podcast, everyone tells you how this is the worst week ever. If you watch mm -hmm. anyone's like uh, Instagram post, they think they know more than you because they had this tape from 1984 over there in Rio <laughs> de Janeiro or whatever. It could be very draining for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that because like I, I've said with other past conversations too, that because we are such artists, our interests vary from thing to thing to thing. Um, and we love a lot of television shows. We all have our different backgrounds and opinions and what we like and um, the content and what we favor and what we want to spend our free time watching compared to what other people tell you you should be watching just because they love it. Um, it's that subjectiveness of art in, in that sense. And like, and I, I love that some people love wrestling, some people don't, I, I am the latter. But I respect it enough to know that it is a humongous franchise and I wouldn't ever touch it because it's so big. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> you, you are big and grand and vast in, in that way. So like, I'm going to let you be successful and I'm going to let the, the fans who love you love you. But that doesn't mean I have to like you. So I'm just going to go over here. Yeah. Um, know a little bit about it. But like we, we all have our different interests and, and opinions in that way. Um, and I love how you, you know, you do have other interests in other television shows. So, and you, you brought up Star Trek. Um, would you say that's one of your favorites or what's your ultimate favorite television show? Oh, wow. That, that you just love. That That's a, a heavy question. Star Trek. Yeah. Star Trek Discovery is my first Star Trek. So that that's kind of okay. crazy for most people. They're like, what? How? And I go. When I was in Italy that time, at the last three days of that trip, when I was so bored, I had to run out of money. So I couldn't go anywhere. And over there, Star Trek shows were on Netflix. And so I downloaded it and I was like, this show's amazing. And I kind of went backwards. And so my experiences yeah. are always different because the Klingons look the way they did in Discovery. I don't have the nostalgic attachment to TNG or the original series. And so that means a lot to me. But I would say 
overall, if you had to put any franchise at the time I spent watching it, the time I was a fan, obviously it's not the case anymore, but I was a huge, huge CSI guy. Uh, ah. CSI Miami, New York. It was my favorite ones, the spinoffs. I watched the classic ones. I haven't watched CSI Vegas, the revival series yet, because they said okay. it's, 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 um, What's the opposite of episodic? It's uh, an arc, a season arc. So I want to sit down uh, and binge, yeah. binge it. But the original Mini CSI. series. Yeah. That's kind it. of yeah. thing. Yeah. The, the original CSI uh, I watched and that was because I was, I was studying abroad and it was one of the only shows that were in English. So after a whole day of learning a language, you just want to veg out and you veg out to murders and corpses. And I was like, I'm all about it. I had all the DVDs. I had some of the merch. I went to the experience in Vegas. Like I was just all about that life. That's amazing. Okay, this is, that's so funny you bring that up because I would not have expected that. And actually, my ex um, is a CSI. Oh, wow. Um, so when we first started dating, I was like, no, but really? He was like, no, I am a certified CSI forensic special investigator. Um, then, you know, that's like the, the proper term. But CSI, you know, crime scene investigation, whatnot. Um, that was so it sounds like that's something that you discovered yourself. Oh yeah. I mean, I, again, I was, uh, 20, 21 years old. I had overdrawn or I had overestimated my amount for my student loans that year. And I had like 4,000 at the hand. And so I put that into a study abroad program to to learn Spanish, but it didn't really happen. So I was in (laughs) Costa Rica for like two months and two things happened there. One, I became a big CSI fan because like it was the only show in subtitles and I was because I had a Spanish family, I had Spanish classes, I had to commute to school. Yeah. I was just like tired because I was like, I can't think of how to translate this. Ah, I want to veg out. I want to just watch it, drink my beer because I'm 18 years old or over, but not 21 and watch CSI. And two, I became a soccer fan because that was 2006 and the World Cup was mm-hmm. in Germany. And the first day, the first game of the entire tournament was Costa Rica versus Germany. And so I was, I'm being an American going, ah, soccer is for those people in Europe who fall down. <laughs> I'm going to the mall. Um, the, the stores were open, but everyone who worked these stores were in the food court watching the game. And I go... I'll give it a shot. And I just, you know, it was a game changing thing. So study abroad if you can. But, but yes, but, but, but CSI, I came back, I I became the total nerd after that. Yeah. No, I love that too, because I mean, there is something about, because CSI is that it's a what hour long drama. um, And it's, um, it's one of those, I'm totally like blanking on the term because one of my favorite shows is Criminal Minds. Mm. Um, so it, you have that operatic kind of episodic, you know, storytelling of like going to a scene, finding a dead body, figuring out like there's an air mystery every single episode. Like we have to figure it out. Um, and like, I think that's always fascinating. So yeah. And I can understand why people um, are intrigued by CSI because that's something it's not every day you, well, not us for us, but people who are in that field, but it's not every day you come across a dead body. You're like something happened here. We got to figure out what happened. Let's yeah. go through all the, uh, all the evidence and, or like acquire all the evidence and figure out the storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I love, I love that mystery. And I think CSI is also one of those shows back in what? 2000 that 2000. started. Yeah. 2000. Um, that like it, it kind of set a precedent for that type of field um, because we we had never seen well not that I know of um, we hadn't seen that type of mystery field 
um, on television. Yeah. In, in the regular sense that they that they showed it, and I, I who who was part of that? Was that Ted Danson? Uh, eventually, no. so it was originally yeah, okay. uh, William Peterson from Manhunter. He was Gil okay. Grissom, and Ted Danson came like the, the last end of that. Uh, he was like, right. in that role, but but yeah, and then he, I mean, you'll you'll see like shows like Quincy M.E. or there'll be like a cop show when there's like the CSI guy, like, oh look, here's a bullet report, not be it, but a whole mm-hmm. show about people like sitting there like running things to a, a beaker it was like so. I mean, right. I, I want to be in the room for that pitch meeting and someone going like, okay, put it on Friday, whatever, and it just blew <laughs> up to something crazy. Yeah, it's. I think it's. We're also fascinated with the science aspect of it because, like, you you get all of what I imagine a lot. Of, I mean, I've actually never seen an episode of CSI, but uh, do you get like a lot of lab scenes or where they're looking through the the minutia of the the evidence and putting things so, together? The short answer is yes, you do. Uh, but when the the three main series were on, you got different flavors of it. So CSI. Crime scene investigation, the classic one, the one that took place in mm-hmm. Vegas. They slow like the majority of the show is them like running things and go, hmm, gets very like <laughs> low place. Miami uh was like a like almost like a music video. They'll put like reggaeton music and flashes and things like ah. that. And they will do it while wearing tight skin tight, uh, you know, suit pantsuits <laughs> and everything. Whereas community. In, yeah, different community. Different whereas, vibe. Whereas New York was like all tight camera angles and zooms in and zooms out. Like they, they, they found different ways to make it a different thing. But yeah, a lot of it is lab work and that's kind of like their thing. Yeah, and I and I think it's fascinating because like people are fascinated by the the lab, the science aspect of it, because we don't see that in an interesting way on television. Mm-hmm. Or or in an artistic way. More so I don't want to say interesting. In an artistic way. Um, where we're with the storytelling because I think CSI is one of those shows in the early 2000s were so formulaic, you know, for the the storytelling every episode. And I think I mean, that's been on my queue forever. But I know because there's been so many seas- different seasons and they're, it, I mean, it, it, like each season in each location has their own characters. I know that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those things like, where do I start first? Do I start at the original? Uh, even though I heard like, New York is better. Or again, with that sub- subjectiveness, like, where do you start? Because there are so many seasons and it's like, that that's a commitment. <laughs> that, I, I, that show was on for a long time. One of the cool things about CSI, because they kind of like, like most procedurals repeat what yeah. the crime and what is. And they go, a man is dead. You won't tell me the truth. It really is yeah. a, a, I'm going to make myself a pot of food and check it out. Like for me now, that's like YouTube time. I'll make my like little lunch and watch two YouTube videos, but you could just drop in at any episode at random and get it. Obviously I would avoid the season ones of any shows because they were so different because they kind of yeah. found their stride later on, but you could pick like episode season four of CSI Miami was peak episode, whatever, and then go, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, really. And, and that's great because a lot of shows aren't like that. They have their the one overarching storyline for the entire season. And then when you watch an episode, you're like, I'm I'm lost. I don't know what happens. But I didn't know CSI were like what self-contained kind of episodes for the most part. I mean, yeah, there was uh, especially on the uh, Vegas one or not CSI because CSI Crime Investigation takes place in Vegas, but the revival is called CSI Vegas, and that's gonna be so confusing. But there were yeah, like <laughs> they're like they're like arcs in between it, like, oh, this killer got away this week, but we saw him three months ago. But okay. the, but but more or less, it's kind of like each week was his own thing. You got a, a different yeah, crime. Yeah, like each week. the 
the um enemy the the bad guy of the week you know yeah exactly yeah uh, i love that because like smallville was kind of like that and and criminal minds and stuff so like very very self-contained episodes for like the first three seasons there was like and you could drop into any episode and you wouldn't be lost because you're still following for for smallville you're still following clark kent essentially just like learning himself and like here's the the bad guy of the week you know mm-hmm. so with that formulaic procedure aspect um i, th- I think it's fun because it's that's what keeps shows going when you know you can just keep bringing a new story every week a new bad guy or or girl you know right right um and like yeah i I'll put CSI on my list. <laughs> it's it. it's a commitment. It's a commitment, but uh, I I have nothing against it, and like that show always fascinated too because I heard so much about it, um, just by like being in the zeitgeist of of television. But yeah, I just I'm, I've never gotten to it. So you're now you're, you're giving stuff. me a reason to do it. Let's do it. Let's have a watch. Yeah, party. true crime. I do I do love true crime in, in that sense. Uh. So for the artists and stuff, because you and I were both artists and I feel like we have a lot of different uh, tastes in in that sense. Um, do you have a favorite artist or creative person out there that like you follow their work passionately? You mean like a, a painter or something like that or? Or just you know, like musician, just like creative person, whoever that like you just follow their entire life, their career. So it's kind of a funny thing uh, having your own podcast uh, because sometimes you feel like you're you're a journalist and trying to find the truth and uncover things. Sometimes <laughs> you feel like you're just a, a guy playing pretend. But I I had this game I got for $8 on Xbox. It was MLB The Show 2021. Uh, okay. It's the baseball game. And what I'm seeing now more with music because music is basically becoming content, right? It's not really like, like an album. It's like song here, song there, a million songs, right. whatever. Uh, there was a song I really liked. Uh, it was called long time coming by relay. And it was kind of the whole braggadocious thing. Like, a, like a, it was a jock jam. Basically. It was like the, you know, I got, I've got this, I got yeah. this swag. I'm, I'm, um, I'm already breathing in drip kind of a thing. And I want to know who this guy was. And so I reached out to Relay and Relay is a guy that is paid to sit and make songs in his room and he, and he makes it happen. And these songs have been yeah. placed uh, on games like MLB The Show. It was unshameless for an episode, one called Lemonade. And so I reached out to him. I was like, hey, I want to talk to you on your podcast just to understand like what this is about. And he, he was on it. We had a good conversation to me. And I was like, you made a fan for life. Because when I was a kid, uh, I wasn't a music person, but my cousins were DJs. I mean, it was a process to go into a dub plate studio to do a voiceover, to get a brand new press vinyl, to be on the shelves. And if it wasn't moving on consignment, Sam Goody said, sorry, sir. And your stuff went in the trash. Sam Goody's. Yeah, tell records, what's up? But, but oh, yeah, now, what's up? you can basically be your own publishing company and, and with enough home stuff and go beyond the SoundCloud space to get yourself placed in video games that would be downloaded by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. This yeah. is the new wave. And so I just hit him up this week because he showed us his new setup in his in his, uh, his room. I was like, oh man, fire, fire emoji, fire emoji. Yeah. <laughs> this is pretty cool, man. And I said, I want to do more like that because during the pandemic, for me, I was a comic. They said, you're not essential, stay home. And much like James Latt Jr., uh, which is also someone on your show, uh, mm-hmm. we started our own media. Pla- I don't say own network. James does. I go, we started our own media stuff. 
And for yeah. a while that I had the most fulfilled part of my life because there are people tuning into these shows. I had cool perspectives. I was able to do all this without leaving my house, without leaving this chair. And I do feel like after the pandemic, there are people that are doing it like Relay. So, I mean, that's the one I would say if I, if I had to, to pick one, um, I'm a fan for life, you know. That's amazing. I've never heard of that. Um, and it's always cool, like how we discover people just by in, in, in which is like completely unexpected. You're like, oh, wait, this person or this thing caught my interest. Let me learn more about them. And and I, I love that you had the uh, assertiveness to reach out and actually like got to know the person better and got to know their work better, because I don't feel like pe people are a fan of something, but they won't go beyond that beyond yeah. what's like just the what they see in front of them the the superficial aspect of it and but us as artists and us as like creative learning beings and you know the forever students i think you can safely call both of us um it's just we, we want to learn more about people i mean i mean hell that's why i'm doing the show because i want to learn more about my friends um because i know so much but then yet i don't know anything <laughs> and uh but uh, it's it's always cool to like learn something about someone and but then also put it out there and let other people know hey have you heard of this person go check out their work okay. and it's that that promoting pay it forward kind of um sense of just artists promoting other people promoting other artists that's a relay, relay? yeah yeah with an e so r-e-l-a-y-e Okay, yeah. I'll definitely check them out. And that was from a video game. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Exactly. You know, no like who, <laughs> who knew? Um, so, I mean, we, you and I, we've met a lot of, you know, celebrities within our field and stuff. Do you have a favorite encounter or a favorite moment with a, a big name that you're like, oh my God, this, this will stick with me for the rest of my life? I, it, I don't have one because the only one I'm trying to get hasn't happened yet. I'm trying to have a okay. conversation with Tony Danza, but he's just been so hard to get. And I'm like, who <laughs> are right. these people asking to hang out with Tony Danza where I can't have an opportunity to do so? Ah, um, Tony Danza. I, I, don't, I don't get starstruck. I don't mean that as a flex. It's usually when I'm working yeah. uh, for someone and i have an encounter with them like will ferrell or or anyone like that it, i'm usually working for somebody else so very rarely it's just me being my way it's that kind of thing in the back of your head like flobo someone gave you the ball don't drop it don't fanboy out just just do the dang thing uh i did bernice king oh i i introduced bernice dr bernice king uh in front of a, a, a council of the riverside county of education uh, at an event and that was like a whole earth too because dr king has been like one of the most outspoken civil rights leaders over the past you know 15 20 years and a daughter yeah. of martin luther king herself so uh, that's another one but usually i'm i'm in a work capacity i just feel like i can't do it um uh, but i have seen wrestlers i had a situation when i was a kid uh, meeting a wrestler i didn't really appreciate so i don't really look for wrestlers mm -hmm. either i don't i don't fan out because i'm like yeah i don't like to interact with wrestlers outside in that way like i don't like to ask for autographs that way uh but definitely other people outside of different spaces has been kind of fun yeah, I mean, and they always say, like, don't meet your heroes. Um, but I fortunately, I I have met uh, a lot of people that I would I wouldn't say deem my heroes, but like my idols growing up. And I was like, for the most part, they've they've fulfilled, you know, nice. my happiness. I'm like, all right, you're cool. Like, I love you even more. Didn't think that would be be possible. But I do. I have more respect for you. So and I, I think it's like how we approach them, because I mean, 
they, they're famous. They know this, and they've been like inundated with just like a bunch of fans always probably coming up to them. And uh, at that point, they're tired. But you got to remember, they're human too, and right. we're human. And it's I think it's also how you approach them. If you if you come not from the like the super fan and like erratic, like oh my god, this person's crazy, get away from me. But like as a human to another human, just like hey, I, I love your work, I respect you. Um, you've had a big impact on my life. You know, if you if you go in honestly, I find that they're more receptive to talking to you and like having a po- more positive encounter with said fan. Um, so I, I think it's like how you yeah, it's how you approach people because fortunately at Afterbus TV we had a lot of big names come in and out, a yeah. lot. Um, so I had to learn quickly how to be professional. And like, I'd like to think I, I always was, but um, there are times I had to like reel myself back and be like, okay, like teenage me is freaking out. But <laughs> right now I'm an adult who has to produce a show. I had to, you know, put the quality out there and then I can like fangirl later. <laughs> like right. just be professional now, but like be a fan later. So it's like that priority. Um but yeah, no, that's fascinating because I think every everyone, because because it is our jobs, like we're so used to seeing people that um you know that we're fans of, but compared to someone who's like bumfuck nowhere, um, right. never seeing a celebrity, they won't know how to properly um approach someone. So uh, absolutely, I think we, we have the we have the training <laughs> um for that. So to kind of wrap us up, but um, I a few more questions. Uh, this is friends and favorites and stuff. Uh, what would you say would be uh, like a favorite strength about yourself? Do you is there like a certain quality that you personally like really feel like? Yeah, that's it. Um, I'm kind AF. No, I th- I think it's loyalty. <laughs> uh, I, I think like I think oh thank you. It means a lot to me. Uh, sometimes I wonder. You know, I sit in bed like how did I make everything as good as I can? No, I I <laughs> think uh, loyalty is one of them. And I know I'm trying not to. I'm trying as I get older not to make it blind loyalty. That that could be very toxic too. You could be codependent. That gets out of hand. Oh. But but oh, I feel yeah. like it, when it comes to friendship, I am I strive to be pretty low maintenance. I to say I don't really want anything, but the only thing I, I think yeah. I would need is that, yeah, you call me every couple of years and say you're alive, and I think I'm fine. You know what I mean? If you need to help me, if you need to help move, I have an SUV. I come, I can pick you up. We can totally make that happen as well. So, like, I, anything I can do to help. I do have my own hangups. Uh, I am not about turning my room into a Holiday Inn. Don't come, don't ask to crash. We're all in our 30s now. Uh, you should probably yeah. uh, think about that before you fly to LA. But you, you can afford a hotel room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If your flight gets delayed, that's one thing. But don't be like, I'm coming to LA. Let me crash on your couch. Uh, but if you need a <laughs> yeah. uh, shirt off your back, you need someone to talk to. If you need uh, anyone to, to to defend you in, in a, an argument when you're not in the room, that's something I I am happy to do that. You know, and and I'm not sure if it's therapy or self-reflection uh, to be able to find common ground with other people as well. I think those two uh, makes me a, a good person to have on your team. Yeah, I love that. Um, and it's good to know, you know, that self-awareness of like our, our, our personal strengths and weakness too. And, and I, I quickly learned that about you from our, our conversations. It's like that you are someone I can just talk to and be like, Hey, how's it going? Um, I just talked to you a month ago and I can like, pick up the phone or text you be like hey how's your day going um because i am i i I find myself i'm like i'm way more introverted uh and 
low maintenance too. So like, I, I definitely relate to that. Be like, you don't need to call me every day. It was like, right. just call me like every once in a while and just let me know how, how things are going. I'll reach out to you too. If I'm like, Oh, I'm just, I was thinking about you. Just how are you doing? Yeah. Um, and I like that. And I think that that's what I definitely have learned more in the pandemic. <laughs> um, when we were so isolated and you know social distancing i'd be like no but i i learned quickly like how social beings we are as humans that need for connection like i need to hug someone right now because i haven't had physical contact in like a yeah. week you yeah. know and like that is important i i quickly learned that i didn't realize that um how much we needed that do you have like problem and, moments like that do you have like a, a case of emergency text this person for a hug like an ant or like how does that work <laughs> uh well yeah I, I mean it's not so much uh sometimes i, I mean at, at the time during the pandemic i was with my boyfriend so like fortunately i did have someone that, okay. that i could hug every day but um there there was a time i'd be like yo i just need to talk to you sure. <laughs> i was like i just need to hear your voice because i'm going through something right now but i know you are the the person the only person right now who can calm me down and talk to me talk to me rationally to bring yeah. myself down from this moment that yeah. i'm currently going through i was like call me like now <laughs> i do have those moments every once in a while very rarely do i have them but uh, i learned quickly i was like yeah you do I like to think I'm self-reliant, but sometimes I realize, oh, I do rely on other people for certain things that I know I can't provide for myself. Sure. And um, that's something <laughs> that that was a, a new kind of discovery for me within the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, maybe no. it was just like the tumultuous years that we've been through through the pandemic, maybe because we were just forced to not talk to people, not see people, that it was so new to me. I'm like, huh, I'm not like I have. I haven't felt this way at all. So I don't, it was so foreign to me. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Right. Um, yeah. So, and, and so I, I know we're, we're newer friends, but I've learned more about you in the last few months. Um, because I'm sick but, of so, it. No, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> no I, I, I love this. But mm. what would you say is your favorite thing about me? Oh, wow. That is just, there's just so many things there. I can talk about it forever. <laughs> no, uh, if I, if I was being, yeah, exactly. <laughs> An hour number <laughs> six. Like, nah. No, it, it, here's the thing about, about new friendships, uh, because there is a, a lot of things that are, are simmering. So if I were, mm -hmm. if you were not in a room, so I'm saying that because it's less awkward that way, because I'm telling <laughs> you directly what makes you dope as, yeah, um, you were always an after buzz tough, but fair. So I've only interacted mm -hmm. with you three times. One of the times we're holding a cake. Uh, but when someone came into you and challenged yeah. you, you're okay with listening and then saying, okay, but um, talking with you last month, what I thought was pretty cool is that that hour and 15 minutes didn't seem long yeah. at all. It didn't feel like a job at all. I felt like we were just really, like we were catching up as if we were friends, which is very an openness, right? A warmth about it. And being on your show, I mean, it takes a lot. And I say, you know, it's brave 
to have someone have one conversation and say, Hey, look, are you down to have me grill you for two hours? You know what I mean? That, that, that dude would freak <laughs> have me I out. Have I been I'm, grilling you? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I said, do your worst. And that, like, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, you let did. me know. Um, but I was, I was like, no, I promise it'll be fun. <laughs> I was expecting like, so where were you last April? You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but that takes, that takes a bit of bravery, right? Cause I, I could have layers or maybe it, I could have uncovered that I was, I don't know, a, a murderous circus clown or something like that. You know what I mean? So the fact that you were just like, you know what? I want to. Our next that. conversation. Hey, actually, I actually pro clown. I know people are not pro clown. Are you? I am. Okay. I'm pro clown. I'm anti dog. I'm afraid of them. <laughs> That's kind of like my switch. Really? Uh, dogs right. freak me out. Um, but yeah, I think it takes a little bit of bravery to do that. So I would say uh, you being just, uh, you uh, being warm, and then ultimately you being brave. Uh, those three. Aw, thank you, Flobo. That's very, very sweet of you. Yeah. You know, this is my show. Every once in a while, I'd like to, you know, get. Have I like to feel good about myself because yeah, um yeah I was like yeah I, I'd like to think of what other people think of me because like yeah. I do get into that mental state of like huh I I I admit I am one of those people that kind of do care what people think of me so like I try to be the best person I can be for someone else yeah. um whether it be producing your show or just I mean personality wise I was like I I know I'm a quiet person for the most part but like if you know me I will talk your ear off it's like <laughs> I know I kind of give off like two different um <laughs> appearances in that way but I was like I, I like to think I'm a friendly person I can have a conversation for like five hours even if I just met you so I'm like just yeah make just sure talk that in front of book time in front of book time <laughs> yeah no no no, no. like my book time is priority <laughs> sorry I'm gonna cut you off so I can open this book I hear um, you I respect that but thank you Flobo and is I don't like yeah uh, you are definitely a, a dear friend now and I'm like and I just love to see our friendship blossom even more within the next few years and for the rest of our lives because like you I respect you as a person and what you do in your shows. I've listened to a few of your episodes and like I looked you up on iTunes. I did a little research. I was like, wow, hey. he's got a lot of awesome things. So from one artist to another, like kudos to you and keep creating content, keep being awesome, keep putting yourself out there and your artisticness um, out there. And like pe people, people will watch, people will listen, people will love you. So thank you for being on my show well thank you for inviting me i actually enjoyed it now now that i have the third degree i actually enjoyed it way more <laughs> uh being on it hopefully we can be on it again for the line I mean, we'll yeah i mean because we always have more conversations down the line so yeah there you go thank you flobo